0: your favourite book and would you like to talk about it? Poor pint, make some tea, pull a chair, oh. Let's talk worlds, it feels so real, feel free to scream and shout it, it's okay, you're in Fiona's Book Club.
1: Hello. How are you doing? Thanks for being here. Episode 3 of Fiona's Book Club. Yeah, we took a break last week because it didn't feel right to press on with regular content. Because there are a few bits going on at the moment in the world, you know. There are bigger fish to fry. And I felt like other things needed to be talked about. People other than me needed to be listened to. So that was the story with that. I'm not going to get into it too much. Uh, I just wanted to have a quick chat, if I may, if you'll allow it. Because... I think uh, there are a lot of us white people at the moment, myself included. You know, trying to figure out what's best to do. How to best be an ally. Sometimes maybe feeling like, oh, it's too horrible or too hard to face. I don't know the right thing to say. You know, people are annoyed if I say something wrong. People think I'm jumping on a bandwagon, etc. Whatever. You know, we're feeling at the moment. Um but yeah I'm I'm not an expert I, I do not claim to be at all or you know feel I have anything hugely significant to tell you but I just um I'm going to I'm trying to learn as I go and I'm going to give you the advice I've given myself which is whenever you feel this is all getting too much for you Just pretend this is season six of Keeping Up With The Kardashians. You're Kim Kardashian. Crying about your diamond earring dropping in the ocean. And remind yourself. People are dying, Kim. You know? It's not about how we feel at the moment. Or bits of discomfort we're being put in. It's about people dying. Isn't it? You know? being murdered and fucked by the system we either helped create or definitely benefited from so if we want to help we need to remember it's not about our diamond earring right now it's about people dying so if people didn't like your black square and i i say this to myself because i put up a black square just dust yourself off and try something else okay because this is very urgent And too much stuff needs to be done for us to be worrying about our diamond earring. Does that make sense? Helps me. Anyway, that's all about that. How are things otherwise? How are you getting on? We're about to get into a lovely chat with my guest this week, Julie J. And Julie is a brilliant comedian. On her Instagram at the moment, she is doing just fab really heartfelt updates about being pregnant in lockdown they're called her pregnancy pauses and you can see them on her instagram at julie j comedy and we had a chat about oranges are not the only fruit by Jeanette Winterson which is a semi-autobiographical novel um about growing up as a gay woman in a fundamentalist religious home and um i was actually just on the instagram for the book there and i came across a quote from Jeanette, which i thought was very good um because the book is often referred to as a lesbian novel i myself would think about it as a book about the queer experience or would you know fall into that category um and Jeanette says I've never understood why straight fiction is supposed to be for everyone, but anything with a gay character, or that includes gay experience, is only for queers. Which I agree with. You know, this is just a book about a girl growing up, having relationships, falling in love, and, you know, whatever else comes with it. So... So thank you, Jeanette. I know you sent out that quote just for me. But yes I it was great to talk about this book because it's really really Julie's favorite book and I think there's something you know something so joyful about talking to people about their absolute favorite book or film or food or whatever because it's so passionate and you learn more about them and about how their favorite thing shaped them so I love it I hope you do too will we play it Sorry now, I'll just get this out of the way first, just quickly, bear with me for a sec. Please, if you're enjoying the podcast, like, subscribe, leave a review, that would be great. You know, it's all very helpful, helping me on my journey with this podcast. I know I'm the only person with the podcast right now, so you got nothing but time. Anyway, enough of that, sorry. Are you ready? Are you relaxed or... In whatever mindset you need to be in to consume a podcast, whatever that means for you. Yeah? Alright, here it is. Oranges are not the only fruit. With Julie J. Come here, so let's, let's get into it. So you chose the book, Oranges are Not the Only Fruit, which I always um accidentally call oranges are or not the new black or like I just get oh
0: yeah it. yeah easily yeah. done easily done <laughs> no it wasn't a Netflix special so this is oranges are not the only fruit by Jeanette Winterson and I just loved it so much when I was in college I was like when you came to me with the book I was like there's only one choice here and that is yeah. oranges are not the only fruit you were
1: really ready with the choice you were like I know exactly what I'm gonna choose which um you know it's nice to have a book that's stayed with you that much that you're like yeah this is the one I want to talk about that's the kind of thing I'd be most excited to talk about with people
0: yeah it's well it's funny because it's one that I you know it's not like it's not anything that I've reread recently but it did just kind of make an indelible mark on my soul and even it was funny because even when I put up that I was doing your book club and I think I referenced um in my response to you I think you had barely pressed send and I was already typing aren't you <laughs> <that the laughs> Jeanette, yeah. but I my my best bud in college Eamon said so I said I was doing the book club and he was like you have to do oranges not the only fruit because I was so obsessed with it in college so then I took a screenshot of our conversation and sent it to him where I referenced him and did say to you that I have to do this book because in college I used to quote sections ad nauseum like I really was just so obsessed with it it was insane I was essentially like like oranges are not the only fruit that was the equivalent of my one direction
1: I love that.
0: Yeah, but it, well, it probably wasn't normal, Fiona either. Let's face it. But um, it's interesting because the book itself does like it. It kind of explores like teenage obsession. And, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So I was kind of, in a way, you could say it was life mirroring art yeah I guess. so what was what was um going on
1: with you like when this book came to you and how did you did you just stumble across it or did someone recommend it to you or? well it was
0: well it was I mean it was probably a bit boring but it was actually on my course in college so I sure. did uh, so I went to Trinity so I did English which thank God is now has some semblance of of school. Thank you, Connell, from Normal People. So oh for a long time, um, I kind of kept that buried. But it was it was on the course, and I read the book. I mean, we all read the book, anyone who was doing the module. And then I just became totally obsessed with Jeanette Winterson. And I had to do a presentation on Oranges Are Not The Only Fruit in, in my little tutor group. And sure it just went off then and anything I could find. Now, I loved her as a person, loved her as a writer, whether it was like Written on the Body, Sexing the Cherry, any of these books. But I think what I liked about Oranges that Are Not the Only Fruit is it's a little bit less allegorical. So the other books are, I guess, I mean, they're huge. I mean, they're still brilliant books. But I think because this book was like semi-autobiographical, and yeah. I mean, then there was the brilliant adaption with, um. oh, I forget her name, but you know, that wonderful actress who died and she was in Four Weddings and the Funeral. Oh, yeah.
1: And in The Vicar of Dibley as well.
0: She was amazing. Yeah. And she oh, died okay. a couple of years ago. Yes. Um, yeah. But, you know, even that, it's just such a powerful story. That I think the story in this book really resonated with me, and then there was the nonfiction, which is so unusual. That obviously this is kind of a fictionalized, well, semi-fictionalized, I suppose, account of her growing up in Lancashire, like in this type of family. But then there was the book, which actually made it onto the Leaving Cert curriculum, so I was delighted with that. Um, yeah. what was it called again? It was had to oh Grow. Yeah, Why Be Happy When You Could Be Normal, which I just think is such an amazing title
1: I saw that because I haven't read any of her other books but I did see that title and was like okay I need to read that next
0: and yeah and you know what it's 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 a nice one like that was they put it on for the leaving cert a few years ago and like personally I still would prefer oranges are not the only fruit but I guess it's probably it's might be a little bit convoluted maybe you know if you're doing it as part of your comparative studies or whatever but Um, No I just even find that interesting That then she came back And wrote a non-fictional account of it
1: Okay so that's what that is That's the Mm. the real version of what I, I mean there are some bits definitely In this book that you're like That had to have happened It's so mad like you couldn't have made it up
0: Yeah I mean it's well I guess Because as well like obviously the central character Is called Jeanette And just to explain to anyone who hasn't Who hasn't read the book um, so, it's essentially about this girl called Jeanette, who is uh, the main character, and she's adopted by, I guess you could call them kind of like evangelists. Um, yeah. So, she's a jo- like, it's very much about her relationship with her mother, who is religious in the extreme. And, uh, you know, it explores her relationship with her mother. And then when she hits adolescence, uh I and it it's interesting because you know there's a lot of conflicts in the book, whether it's Jeanette having to be sent to school and she's sent to school at the age of seven and she's instantly different because she is this essentially like little evangelist child who's constantly banging on about hell. And then that kind of sets the scene for when she becomes an adolescent and she falls in love with a girl. And obviously then she's in conflict with everything that she's known up to that point, which is her mother her church and I guess it just you know it it it's reaches the point where she has to make a choice and so it's it's a wonderful book like for anyone who's ever felt ostracized I think it really it just really kind of hits you in the in in the gut
1: yeah and that kind of hard thing of having to you know the scary thing of having to step away from everything you've ever known like because you realize that it's not good for you or not probably good for anyone that's involved and you you know that kind of bit of starting to become your own person believing your own stuff and like starting to challenge what you've been brought up in
0: yeah and I think it's it is hard and I suppose the fact that like you know it's 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 funny in places as well like it's not all heavy it's very funny like even the title oranges are not the only fruit like her mother maintains that oranges are the only fruit and obviously the symbolism there being like that there is not one sexuality that gender is like this social construct but she is so binary in her thinking so the mother herself the way she portrays her it's actually really funny in places and the way everything... Her mother sees things so black and white and so binary, but she herself, like, even though she says, for example, you know, she gives out about the neighbours being unholy and, you know, she's very anti-alcohol, but she has a secret wine glass that she says she uses for medicinal purposes. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, Yeah,
0: so it's, like, she's kind of a ridiculous character. So what I like about it as well is that even though the mother is this total wagon and completely throws her daughter to the wolves. And it's so heartbreaking. There's almost like an affection in terms of how she's portrayed as well. Like there's that kind of sense that she's still almost protecting her um, in terms of how she's like, even the fact that she rege- how she came to embrace religion and stuff is portrayed in a funny way. So there's, there's that yeah. sympathy. That's true because,
1: like, what was going on with the mother? Like, it sounds like she kind of lived the rock and roll years before this. Like, you know, Pierre, yeah, Pierre, and the rest. Like, you know, (laughs) that little photo album she had of all her old flames and a a
0: page, old flames. Like, my worst nightmare would be to have a page in my like, it would be like having an album on your Instagram entitled Old Flames. I'm just like, no, I like to. I like to pretend that there was no one before Fred. That's how I like (laughs) to live my life. Um, But yeah, you see, this is it. So again, like the hypocrisy that it's ridiculous in kind of a humorous way. And she talks about like even that moment when Jeanette wants to learn French and she's like, no. And it turns out that this Frenchman basically, she blames this Frenchman for giving her a stomach ulcer. And she's like, that was the physical manifestation of, you know, unnatural passions. And then... You know that moment when the 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 couple there's the lesbian couple who run the sweet shop, yes, and yes. and her mother says that they engage in unnatural passions, and Jeanette thinks she's talking about like artificial sweeteners. <laughs> yes, yeah. there, there are all those moments which are just great.
1: Yeah, hashtag unnatural passions. That should be also the title of a book. I th- I'd say
0: well, I'd say it's definitely the title of a film, Fiona. Yeah. Like, um, if, if you know stupid. the right website to look up, you you
1: can find unnatural passions.
0: I was well, I was laughing even in terms of like normal people. You know, the obviously Liveline was you know um, very Late. busy with everyone, everyone ringing up, complaining that this was essentially porn, and I did say to Fred, I was like, I want to find out what porn sites these people are visiting because I still talk about the fact that I (laughs) last year put romantic sex into Pornhub as a bit of a social experiment because I was doing a a comedy bit on it and it came up with zero results and that's when you know you are a sick bitch when you put (laughs) up romantic sex and they're like nothing for you love like you know it's so niche Pornhub
1: yeah yeah exactly they
0: have they have um, a section or a category for everything like, Well, so... they know, apparently now this might have changed but romantic sex you'd want to have a chat with yourself and you'd want to get that scene too because zero results on Pornhub um but yeah and you see with this book as well it, it's kind of like sexually speaking I mean it sounds absolutely ridiculous like you know as I said because I was 17 in college but I found this quite saucy in places you know it, not even saucy mm. but definitely exciting in a sexual way as in you know the way she would just drop in you know say even with Miss Jewsbury, the fact that Miss Jewsbury essentially like exploited her in this moment where she was at her lowest ebb and they ended up having sex. And then her, you know, say that what her mother would deem unnatural passions, etc. I guess yeah. I, I found it interesting because even somebody like Miss Dewsbury, who seemed, you know, we all knew a Miss Jewsbury, who was just essentially like your mom's mate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this somebody who was very active in the church, that she had been harboring these desires as well. And I just yeah. found it all insane because this was completely new to me. So I, I definitely found, I definitely found her take on it. It was um like in, in places was really disturbing, but also I found it kind of exciting as well that she was exploring sexuality in this way.
1: Yeah, I agree with you about the sauciness. And I think like something I really enjoyed about any of the references to sex or any of her affairs was she wasn't, making a huge deal out of it there wasn't a huge lead up to the sex where like I was so conflicted my religion this is wrong there was none of that it was just like the next thing you know like they're in bed doing whatever and I found that very real and enjoyable I was glad that there wasn't almost any time wasted like talking about her shame because we know we know about her upbringing so it goes without saying yeah this is wrong you don't need to spell
0: it out for us so and I yeah I and I find I I actually exactly that that the way she just it was almost like kind of you know um you know and then you know we went to bed and we made love and I held her and it was amazing and I just never wanted it to stop like what I love about her syntax as well it's like that sense of I guess the momentum you know when you're like really falling for someone and you're not thinking and you're just suddenly in it and it just feels so natural it's almost like a casual kind of you know I suppose kind of sideway comment oh yeah and by the way like obviously we made love like it's exactly yeah there's that momentum that I really feel she builds so well and the fact that she's you know she's kind of I suppose tripping over her words telling Melanie how she feels she's telling her mother how she feels about Melanie because she's just so excited and it's that sense of excitement that you associate with like the first person you have like amazing sex with or the first person you fall in love with she captures it so so well whilst also I think touching upon like as I said like the more disturbing aspects of you know somebody maybe exploiting someone at their lowest ebb um mm. to you, you know for example like Miss Jewsbury which even coming back to them, I'm just like oh Miss Jewsbury you're such a creep um yeah. but yeah, it, yeah. you know it, it just excited me as a book
1: yeah absolutely there was um the yeah the Melanie stuff when she was obviously so in love that she started telling her mom how she felt I was like Jeanette no
0: no what are you Tell
1: doing I get that you're excited
0: but don't tell her. But you say, I guess, you know, because the mom was, way. yeah, and it's isn't it so tragic as well? Because you it just shows that she was so blinded by the fact that yeah. she was like madly in love with this girl, Melanie. She's ignoring all evidence to the contrary and saying, you know, who wants to hear about this is my mother. My mother. Yeah. Who's never wanted to hear anything, really. about know. And the poor dad, like just just for Jeanette's dad is all I have to say. I mean, honestly, just every now and again, because obviously I'm six months pregnant at the moment. I'm like, poor Fred having to live with me and my moods (laughs) and my hormones. But then I think, but I'm not Jeanette's mother. You know, like, surely, surely there's worse out there. Um, But yeah, I mean, her father is just this kind of silent victim in and all as well. Yeah, you just picture
1: him with no face. And like when, when they're talking, her and Melanie, and Melanie's like, oh, I don't know my dad. And Jeanette goes, yeah, me neither, kind of, even though she's
0: yeah lived in the exactly. house in life.
1: But it's like, who is he and what? Uh, what's he at? Like, what purpose does he serve? Obviously, he works and provides for the house, but like, has he said one word? He's just one of those lads that's kind of
0: going with the flow and kind of not arsed getting out of that relationship I suppose he's completely passive which in itself is interesting I mean the only I mean I suppose the only real male character is such in it other than like the myths and the stories that she tells would be the pastor who let's face it is doing nothing for men in the book like he is just the worst and again, like that kind of extreme religion, I suppose I would have always associated with like the Bible Belt in the states. So again, I found it really interesting that like growing up in Lancashire, I mean, there was this level of kind of evangelical like his hysteria. Like again, yeah. that was totally new to me. It's not something I would have considered.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess there's pockets of it um, everywhere. Actually, on the note of those. Um myths that she
0: dipped into what what did you think of them I, I oh well, what they, I the like. myths like some you see this is the thing with Jeanette I just feel like Jeanette similar to Quentin Tarantino like probably needs an editor at times but nobody's gonna okay, say you know yeah. what and we're just gonna get rid of this scene like nobody's gonna say that to Quentin I feel nobody's gonna say that to Jeanette so for me like and I think it, that's what happens in some of her other books Like, I think, for me, I found the myths were great, but there's just so much in them. Like, in terms of deconstructing them, you could actually probably write a thesis just on the myths in in this book alone. And I can see how, like, it might lose people at times because it's so out there and it's so fantastical. But then when you actually sit down and kind of dissect them, it's interesting in terms of holding a mirror up to what Jeanette like was experiencing and like one of my favorite quotes from Jeanette which probably relates to those myths would be she's a great quote trust me I'm telling you stories so this idea that like stories are actually a way to make sense of your life in a much better way than say history is a way to make sense of your life and like sometimes I think the fantasies they just go that like they're so tangential or they're so kind of maybe ancillary to the thing you kind of you really have to stay with them because it's easy to kind of just say okay I'm just going to skip to the next chapter now because this is all a bit mad but actually then when you come back to the chapter you say there's so much in there that she's trying to tell us and she finds it easier to tell us through the medium of these completely mental stories yeah maybe I needed to give them you but I I can see I can see how they would put you off because they are so fantastical and I'm somebody who I wouldn't gravitate towards like fantastical kind of writing. I'm very much like I love something that is, you know, based in reality. But I, it's just because I, for me, I think with Jeanette Winchson it's a way that she makes sense of things and I love her distrust of history and you know, even yeah. that moment where she talks about Pol pot is great. Which one's that again? Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, it's, it's, it's 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 kind of, it's a it's a bit of a mad observation in that it's so, it's just like something you would never, I mean, it's 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 not a, it's not a take on it I had heard before, but basically she talks about Pol Pot, obviously in Cambodia, who had burnt all the history books and all the documents because he was like, oh, well, actually history begins now, like this, you know, forget history. But she says, oh, in a way, is that more honest as against the rest of us who try to make sense of the past? And, like, again, that's what I love about Jeanette. She's just so brave in the things she comes out with. And she really doesn't give a shit if you agree with them or not. I mean, there's very few people who would say, yeah, I think Pol Pot. Now, obviously, by the way, you know, (laughs) she's kind of, I suppose, being a little bit provocative there as well. But, uh, you know, her saying, oh, yeah, do you know what, Pol Pot, like maybe he was onto something. Again, I love that that she really feels that fiction. There's such a place for fiction, and fiction can be just as powerful as a history book.
1: Yeah, definitely. Because like whoever wrote that fiction was going through something at the time. Like you can, you can um think about the time when it was written, the place where it was written, and when you hold the like piece of fiction up against that, it is kind of informative.
0: Um, yeah.
1: Know if you if you care to think about it or delve in. So absolutely, you can. Because in fiction, things would come out by accident, maybe like without yes. the author even realizing. Whereas, like history is so carefully, you know, um documented and yeah, and whatever. Yeah,
0: and I I think I think she was the first person who, for me, as a like uh, just a reader who was saying actually sorry but we can learn just as much about the world from fiction as we can from fact and I just found that so mind-blowing and again you know that's why I went off and read everything by her and I do think like her other books they're probably like they really depict her as just such an interesting person in and of herself they explore her kind of adult relationships and her sexual relationships and they're so sensual and amazing Um, But this was probably, I think, probably her funniest book.
1: Yeah, it is funny. It is funny. I love how... um, I loved the affair with Katie most, I think. Yeah. Because it's like now that uh, Jeanette's, you know, gone through it all with Melanie, she knows the ropes a bit more. She's a bit more worldly, yeah. Yeah, and I love that. Um, I like that bit between... The first time... You know, they ride and Melanie, or not Melanie, uh, fucking Jeanette is like, Oh, are you sure this is what you want? And Katie's like, Yeah. And, um, you know, consent, Brill. And then Jeanette's like, Then we stopped talking because it was embarrassing. Um, yeah oh god I can so and
0: and, and it's it's nice as well with Katie because again you know as somebody at that point in my life I think most people have felt like romantic rejection and had their heart broken and she was so devastated by them not just the Melanie thing but also uh, the rejection like obviously from her church and her family and she had suffered so much so to be wanted and desired by Katie is just such a lovely moment and she's very much in control and that's what's interesting when you come back to her other books that like quite often like Jeanette is in control and she's very yeah and she's somebody who like is very like obviously she's hugely attractive like as a human being and she just attracts like such interest and people are just fascinated with her and I love that with Katie when she like she's very much the one like inviting her to the caravan and all that She's really pushing it and it's yeah. just nice because Jeanette has been through so much at that stage that it's lovely that she's desired.
1: And needed. Like, yeah. you know, definitely is the um, dominant person. And kind of when it comes down to it and everyone finds out about her and Katie, she kind of protects Katie. What's the kind of. She's like basically says Katie had nothing to do with it. She was just talking to her about the fact that she was still in love with Melanie. Because.
0: Yeah, she, she like, pretended. And I, 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 yeah, and I love that, that moment that she does protect her Um, because that's kind of, I guess that's Jeanette's role is that she always comes across as a very fierce, protective, as you say, like a a dominant character in the sense that she stands up to, for example, like the pastor when they're like quoting stuff at one another. And I love the fact that like her intelligence just shines through. And, you know, the pastor is just left kind of, you know, essentially, I, I mean, I suppose he's he's kind of unnerved at this young woman who is putting it up to him. But no, it is. It is lovely. And I guess that's the thing with Jeanette is that, that there's that, you know, there's so many references to it in the book. But she's all about loyalty and the fact that Melanie, you know, she feels has, well, I mean, has betrayed her in the sense that she repents yeah. immediately when like obviously there's that really disturbing moment in the book where um the two young girls are turned upon by the church and yeah. like kind of essentially outed by the pastor and yeah in the
1: middle of oh church or whatever. In,
0: yeah I mean in the middle of church and you know melanie repents straight away i mean melanie in herself i feel is like an interesting character because the fact that you know she goes to the church with Jeanette and straight away says i want to be saved it kind of indicates you think okay i wonder like what kind of history she's had up to this point that she feels as a young girl she's done something to warrant that that she needs to be saved But the fact that she does repent immediately, and then, of course, you know, when she meets her and says that she's getting married, I mean, your heart just breaks for her. Yeah. Um, So, and then, of course, Jeanette says that she spits on her future husband. And you're like, no, I mean, please, (laughs) like, we're all upset here, but there's no need for spitting. I know spitting is, you know, a hot topic at the moment,
1: because, you know we're in a pandemic but no okay spitting's never good but it's what you wish you could do sometimes to... yeah i mean certainly yeah
0: uh, you do i think we've all kind of flirted with that idea i'm gonna walk up to him in center i'm just gonna spit in his face like i mean but you don't do it that's the difference between no. us and Jeanette. you don't um, like,
1: come on Jeanette. if someone's gonna come up to you the the um new like fiance of melanie came up to Jeanette and is like I know what happened oh he gives her a little pat on the arm and is like I know what happened between you two and I forgive you
0: fuck off like I didn't say sorry yeah no I think a fuck off probably would have sufficed but it yeah. can that fierceness with Jeanette that she's like I'm taking it to the next level and I'm gonna spin on this land." um mm-hmm. but yeah it's it's just I I mean I love that because that is kind of I guess it's a running thread in the book like the whole idea of betrayal and loyalty and I suppose as it coming to that as a teenager at 17 you know that's like those concepts are so important to you and you know you really feel I feel like betrayals that happened when you were younger like you, you just you hold you hold on to them for so long because at that stage in your life loyalty is so important and fidelity and you know you feel everything so much and so deeply that it kind of it really kind of maybe spoke to me at the time the fact that she does focus on that so much
1: yeah no you definitely do feel so much more at that time because you're not fully formed as a person like you're still so vulnerable so you're gonna feel betrayals like that so much more whereas if something like that happened now Maybe you'd be upset, but at least you know yourself and you, like, have the tools to get through it. Yeah. Um, Which, like, she definitely gets along the way.
0: You do have, as you say, you do have more tools as you get older. And then it's, it is kind of that, isn't it? That she's kind of, I suppose, finding coping mechanisms. She's becoming more independent. and like ultimately independent of the church and her mother. And I suppose it is that classic kind of, you know, coming of age, breaking away from your family. But just in this instance, it's really extreme because it's, you know, relates to how her sexuality, um, essentially the church, which is really the only family she's ever known, is saying, well, you know, if you fall in love with girls, you can't love God. And the, and a lot of the book is her trying to reconcile that, saying "No, like I think I can love Melanie and I can love God,
1: yeah, yeah, and she yeah, i I almost think it was interesting that she didn't quite go into that as much or as explicitly as I thought she would into the religious side of things, the religious side well, more yeah. like her battle between like her sexuality and God, she kind of just said what happened or what was said out loud, not too much her thoughts or her feelings about it, which I think, um, I, did you feel like that? She, because it's it said it all then, because she'd set up her whole religion in the start of the book and how you just know straight away obviously you can't be gay in this religion and then when the time comes that she actually is outed there's not too much like oh I felt my world crashing around me or I knew my mother would never approve there's not too much of that it's more like the facts here's what happened
0: I think and like that's the thing with Jeanette Winterson is that she I think she doesn't harp on about that because yeah It's like, you know, I think to any reasonable reader, you would say, okay, well, this clearly, like clearly they're totally wrong on this when they say you can't love God and girls at the same time. And she kind of doesn't, she doesn't over-egg it at all. Like she's very, like that's the thing with Jeanette is that I feel she can be really fantastical in her writing, but then also she can be so stripped back and simple. And that's actually what gets you, in the heart like that's really what pulls on the heartstrings like you know there's I mean that's why I think as a book it like just has so many amazing quotes but you know even there's that one um and she talks about I want someone who is fierce and will love me until death and know that love is as strong as death and be on my side forever and ever so the idea that her mother doesn't really love her then because her mother is not on her side like she doesn't have to say explicitly. Oh, actually, my mother now doesn't love me anymore. It's obviously it's all you know suggested and That's hinted at. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's that thing of she associates love with loyalty. So if you're not on my side, well, then you don't love me. Um, and it's I suppose you know it's it's something that um one of the things in the book in terms of the religion. I love the the way she mourns her relationship with God. So the fact that she had put all her faith into this God to protect her and mind her and she thought that that was all she needed, her relationship with God. And then she discovers that like people who supposedly love God do mean things. And, you know, the servants of God, as she calls them, like ultimately have betrayed her. And she feels so alone because like her relationship with God has been the one constant in her life. And that's what she really misses is her relationship with God. By the end of the book, because her notion of God has been totally—it's—it's it's essentially been blown apart, yeah, and de- and decimated by this experience.
1: Yeah, that must have been the hardest thing to come to terms with because she's hardly gonna miss her relationship with her mom because talk about like loyalty and having someone in your corner like come what may she clearly was not that to her and never was you know like she didn't see her as a daughter or a family member she saw her as you know someone she was grooming to go off and be a missionary she wasn't yeah and and
0: I think she does talk about that doesn't she that she says that essentially her mother adopted her because she wanted a tag team you know she viewed it as a almost like a wrestling match that they were going to be in one corner and the rest of the world were going to be in the other and of course like that awful moment is out which is so sad when her biological mother comes to the door oh my god yeah oh it's so devastating isn't it
1: that's horrendous and then what like did she ever see her in real life,
0: I don't know. Do you know what? It's only now coming back to this. I actually wondered that. Um, did she connect with her any stage? But when the when the adoptive mother calls her at uh, the the biological mother a carrying case, and you oh just my think, God. Oh. yeah, yeah, that,
1: and it's just almost like a little throwaway comment. But it's like, oh okay, that is what you think of women. And it was so because you know at the start when um it kind of in. Implies that Jeanette's mum, adoptive mum, adopted her because she wanted to have a baby without having sex, essentially. Yes,
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: And so she obviously thinks women who have sex or maybe for pleasure and, you know, have this baby that they are not ready for, can't take care of, are obviously just the worst type of people. As you say, a carrying case, like an object, not human.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 again, it's so interesting that her take on having a baby and, you know, getting pregnant ultimately is that you have succumbed to lust and unnatural passions. Like it's so extreme, her thinking on it. But that is definitely implied as to why she did have the baby was uh, she did adopt the baby was to essentially avoid like having sex yeah god so that husband's never had the ride not
1: i mean you anyway. wonder
0: i mean you would think probably not and i mean then just let the man watch a bit of telly on a Please. sunday
1: when he finally went down and got some fish and chips for himself after she'd um like after jeanette was properly like look i'm gay or it was like look i'm fuck this and her the mom smashed every plate in the kitchen and with the dad there's no dinner because there's no plates and he was like okay went out and got some fish and chips I was like finally the man took something into his own hands
0: and isn't it just so it's so grim like the whole thing is just so grim like the domestic life is so grim school life then she's like ostracized obviously because of the religion at that stage but I suppose it foreshadows her being ostracized because of her sexuality as well but it's just, it's like, I mean, the church is grim. You know, Miss Dewsbury, like Creepy Mac Creeperson is grim. Like, it's just, it's its really bleak, actually. So the fact that she escapes into the fantasies and the myths is probably not very surprising because it is just, it's, it's just bleak. And even in the televised version, that one with that amazing actress, I need to get her name now before the end of this. But again, it's just depicted as like, ugh. Really grey. Just really, really grey. Um, but I guess it's that juxtaposition then because you're trying to escape the grey and like Melanie and Katie are ways to escape the grey.
1: Yeah. It's like that thing of um in religion where you're kinda not allowed or meant to have any nice things on earth because everything is about God. Maybe. Yeah. And so I don't know
0: it yeah well actually that's probably very true yeah I I did find I just looked up there to see did Jeanette ever meet her real mother so she said that she did will I read will I read out what she said so she said so her biological mother was called Anne apparently she had been told by um, Mrs Winterson as she calls her adopted mother that her biological mother had been dead but then in 2007 She found some paperwork, so she started looking for her and Anne was her biological mother. So she said, when I did find Anne and we met in the snow on a freezing day, it was easy and difficult all at once. I liked her, but I didn't feel an instant DNA bond. I had come out of her body, but we were two adults who had only spent six weeks together 50 years ago when I was brand new and she was 17. We have the same quick walk and bright dog-like watchful eyes. We are both self-reliant and resourceful. She is one of 10 children, and so I come from a huge family of uncles and aunts and cousins, which is odd when you grow up as an only child. They all love ballroom dancing, apparently. She called me Janet, and I guess Mrs. Winterson Frenchified it into Jeanette. Mm. I wonder what would have happened to me as that Janet. I would have had to look after my two half-brothers. I doubt I would have gone to Oxford. None of my birth family is educated. Too poor, no opportunities. Would I be a writer? Why? The am that I am belongs to Winterson World, although it is crazy and dangerous. I think that's one of the most painful things for Anne, was realising that I would rather be this me than any other me. It isn't a rejection of her or her family, but in some ways it can't be anything else. I don't wish I had been there oh god I know
1: it's so complicated
0: yeah isn't it it really is um but yet I mean just love Jeanette so much Mm. she's just a fascinating character and I love you know you often see her on panel shows and she's so fierce and she doesn't compromise at all and I just love that about her
1: yeah, she's very un unap- unapologetic. I really like that, and just yeah, I just love her like um you know, just ticking along with her jobs, like driving the ice cream truck and then working in The Undertaker's like parking the ice cream truck around the back. Yeah. Kind of like
0: Resourceful. Yeah. Yeah. And she, and like I do love that as well, you know, she talks about doing these completely mad jobs and like even, oh, I mean when she's working in the funeral parlor and like Elsie, she finds else, out about Elsie, yeah. oh my god, it just... It's so, I mean, even thinking about it now, it's so hard to read it and not cry And when she stays up all night with her. Mm. Uh, because Elsie, Elsie was so important in terms of introducing her to literature and, you know, like, the, the I mean, there's that funny moment as well with Jane Eyre. You know, her mother changes I the ending of Jane, Jane. Eyre. Yeah. And Jane goes off and is supposedly a missionary. Um. And then the day she says that the day she found actually read the ending of Jane Eyre was the day she accidentally found her adoption papers. So again, like Elsie was so important to her, and then when she finds out that she's lost, and she tries to go in, and she's told to leave by the members of the church mm-hmm. and her own mother, it's it's so it's so sad. But yet, like what you uh, respect about Jeanette is she's so plucky. Like, she just keeps on plugging, like, as you say, driving the ice cream van or working the funeral parlor or whatever it is. And she just keeps selling her ice creams outside the... Outside, outside the, the wake. way, for all the mourners, which I actually have to say is, is a good business move, and I think yeah. more people should do because you know, when you're awake, you would maybe fancy an ice cream afterwards.
1: Yeah, you need a bit of sugar, you kind of forget to eat. You need, yeah, perfect time for an ice cream truck, and I think it's so special. Like, that because she works in the funeral home, she gets to like say goodbye to Elsie by herself, like, without all the bullshit of that church, you know just the two of them together Um, because, yeah, she probably was the only person growing up who actually gave a shit about her.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's kind of, she's, you know, she's not a massive character in it, but I feel like what she gives Jeanette is so important, and even the fact that she has the posters of, like, Isaac Newton and Florence Nightingale I guess she's offering her um, a gateway into a different world.
1: Yeah, something other than the religion. Yeah. But, like, as she knows she needs to be careful about it, like, for Jeanette's own good. Yes,
0: yes. Yeah. So it's not... over. It's it's kind of covert, isn't it, as well? Um, which, again, is just mad, like, when you think a poster of Florence Nightingale and you're seen as this kind of heathen rebelling against the system... Um, I mean, if they'd seen my Mark Wahlberg poster when I was that age, it was positively Um, indecent. Back when he was Marky Mark, back in the good old days.
1: Oh, God, Julie, they would have been absolutely horrified.
0: Yeah, so I think Florence Nightingale was the lower end of the spectrum, but it says so much about the church that they probably would have completed Florence with Marky Mark.
1: Yeah yeah and the like just the how you have to wonder for the people who are so stuck to the religion and not breaking away from it like her mom or like Melanie when she goes back to it it's like what happened with these people particularly her mom like she even had a woman in her Photo album of old flames that was like later gone. The next time they went to look. At
0: yes, it. yes, 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 yes. That's about really interesting, isn't it? Like,
1: yeah, it's like who yeah. did what or said what to you that made you so. What's the word like fundamentalist or whatever? Yes, yeah,
0: and it's 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 like what made the mother so extreme. Mm, yeah,
1: and Melanie, like to go back to it and you know because she's someone who you'd never really hear a story from her perspective because those people
0: i know and you know what it's with melanie i feel she's somebody that i would like to hear her perspective on it like where was melanie's hat where was melanie's head at with the whole thing um because katie at least with katie it feels like it's a bit of a marriage of the minds In that you know where katie stands in it but melanie almost seems like this completely passive passenger in everything. Um, So it's like, Melanie is so disappointing to her. And I think usually, I mean, usually your first love is very disappointing. Let's face it. I mean, the
1: first love is the deepest.
0: I mean, look, if we could have had Connell as the first love, that would have been fantastic. But (laughs) I mean, yeah. So I think, you know, that sense of disappointment as well in people, that she's so disappointed by people is again probably coming back to the fact that I read it as a teenager. I was like, yeah. "Yes, people are so disappointing." Um, and I think with the mother, like that is the thing that, like, she did say when she wrote the book, like she got obviously a fierce note from the mother saying, like, you know, this book is trash, and I can't believe you'd write all this stuff. Mm. Um, but again, it's it's probably the it was probably the mother's shame in that like she knew she had treated this girl appallingly and it's that thing of it's okay for me to treat you badly as as long as other people don't know about it.
1: Yeah I wonder deep down did she even think oh I actually did treat her badly or is she still like well I don't know if she's still alive or would she still be like Jeanette was an abomination of God,
0: you wonder actually. That's a really good point. Like, would she still be steadfast in the? I mean, you know, yeah. Like the fact that she fell in love with the girl. Just sorry, but no. Like you, you can't be part of my family.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, because it's it's funny because then she does have this thing where, like you know, she's kind of kicked out, but then she comes back for Christmas, and it's very. It's it's like, that's the only indication, I think, that like the mother, you know, in front of the church members, etc. rejects her. But there is almost that sense in, it's kind of a protracted exile. It's, yeah. you know, that she, that, I mean, you'd wonder, is that an indication that the mother did find it hard to reject her on some level?
1: Yeah, I was so surprised at the end when she came back for Christmas. I was like, I
0: mean, would you be going back for Christmas? I, I mean, the pubs are open in England on Christmas. Except I'm like, go I to the pub for the after. day.
1: Yeah, I wonder. And she comes back, and the moms. Gone all tech, like she's got an electric keyboard, and, is, and it's it's like, oh. uh, yeah,
0: it's strange, and I guess it probably feeds back into the thing of like you know nothing being straightforward, and mm. like the mother herself being a bit of a hypocrite when it comes to things,
1: yeah, it's weird how you like will always sometimes some people like will give their parents a second chance, third chance, fourth chance because they're their parents at the end of the day. Even though, like, could you call this woman her parent? Like, she, not like, no fucking shade to any other adoptive parents, but this woman in particular really took this child on. Like, she was the product that she could. Find, yeah, you
0: know. And uh, well, that's it. And like, she basically she just wants a little mini missionary, didn't she? Yeah. And it's very, it is very telling that you know, say even that bit that I read there from um Winston because I haven't read like any essays or anything she writes obviously a lot of columns and stuff now as well but and a lot of articles but like the fact that she refers to her as mrs winterson is so Mm -hmm. sad as well because it just points to obviously this like irrevocable distance between them that they're essentially almost on a formal basis
1: i mean they totally are like she was a commodity to her mom like if she could have got a mini missionary in non-human form without having to actually have a child she would have done it like
0: yeah and it is it's again it's and just even that moment with the biological mother it's you do as a reader you're kind of imagining the life that Jeanette would have had but it's it's interesting that she has kind of I guess the emotional maturity to say well do you know what I'm glad." that that was in my life because otherwise I wouldn't have been Jeanette Winterson
1: yeah and yeah it's so true to as much as you would have wanted like you might have felt more love or more warmth or something or anything it's I guess true and sensible to be like oh I wouldn't be where I was now there's no way
0: and do you think do you think as a book is it too mad in places would you think like it's too out there at points because it is a bit kind of all over the place that is the structure is a bit disjointed
1: only for me sometimes with the myths that she goes into but maybe I was you know wanting more sense I think sometimes when you accept oh maybe I'm not gonna be able to make sense of all of this you can enjoy it more whereas I was like why is she going into this like she's and she just snaps straight in and out of it with no I found it that made sense say when she had glandular fever and was probably like you know losing the head a bit like delirious yeah but um sometimes I was like what are you doing or what does this mean um But it is,
0: yeah, no, I can see how that would be. Disjointed. can i read the paragraph that i used to quote to my friend ad nauseum please, this is so embarrassing no, so amen matter. um when we were in uh, in college together we used to go drinking in i forget what department it was i don't know was it the classics department or something it was some department anyway that there used to be basically a clear out of people at six o'clock so we used to get a bottle of wine and sit by a plant pot and just be <laughs> boozing and then we would just quote, I mean, this is so grim and embarrassing, but we would just quote paragraphs to one another. So needless to say, neither of us were getting the ride at this point in our lives. Um. So uh, this was like, I just used to love this one. So, uh, okay. I think that this is like very close. Like uh, it's it's just after she's met Melanie and Melanie has told her that she's getting married. Yeah. So she says, but where was God now with heaven full of astronauts and the Lord overthrown? I miss God. I miss the company of someone utterly loyal. I still don't think of God as my betrayer. The servants of God, yes, but servants by their very nature betray. I miss God who was my friend. I don't even know if God exists, but I do know that if God is your emotional role model, very few human relationships will match up to it. I have an idea that one day it might be possible. I thought once it had become possible and that glimpse has set me wandering, trying to find the balance between earth and sky. If the servants hadn't rushed in and parted us, I might have been disappointed, might have snatched off the white Samite to find a bowl of soup. As it is, I can't settle. I want someone who's fierce and will love me until death and know that his love is as strong as death and be on my side forever and ever. I want someone who will destroy and be destroyed by me. There are many forms of love and affection. Some people can spend their whole lives together without knowing each other's names. Naming is a difficult and time-consuming process. It concerns essences and it means power. But on wild nights, who can call you home? Only the one who knows your name. I mean isn't that just so amazing honestly if I could get it tattooed on my body I would but I just it's a little bit long a bit long no it's so good it's
1: brilliant but I'm just obsessed with like the image of you and your friend like two glasses of wine quoting books to each other being like no one gets us weird I know and
0: and then it's, it's actually funny because I think it was the player society but we decided we wanted to anyway do a little bit of comedy a little bit of a little bit of mucking about in college and we went along and I don't even know what happened but we went and some one of us I mean it was probably Eamon he like they were doing some bit and I wouldn't even call it a heckle but like he just tried to get involved but anyway then we were promptly barred from the society for the rest of our academic career. So, like, when people ask me, did you do comedy in college? I'm like, no, I was not allowed by the establishment. I was me. too dangerous. I was yeah. too dangerous. Oh, similar to Jeanette Winterson. Like, I was too fierce. So then, as an alternative, we would have to just have these little impromptu wine wine, and paragraph sessions,
1: Oh my god, that is so funny! Yeah, you were just too forward-thinking. You were ahead of your time.
0: They couldn't handle me. That was the no, problem.
1: They really couldn't. God, what a what a trailblazer of Trinity College Dublin.
0: Oh god, and you know it's terrible because I actually hated my time in Trinity. I always say I hate it, but yet I made my best friends there. So I don't know yeah. what I don't I don't know. You know, in terms of college, what that says about it. But um, yeah, so I mean, look, it was great from that point. It was great for the buddies, and great for introducing you to the likes of Jeanette. Yeah,
1: yeah. I suppose like sometimes you do make friends when you have something to unite together in hate, like which yeah, been, you know, college itself or whatever. So you do make your best friends at those times.
0: Well, you do, don't you? I think. I think actually, that's exactly it. That you know, hatred is a great band. in terms of like mutual hatred is just a wonderful one um in terms of friendship glue I think it's fantastic
1: it's so true um yeah you can really join together in bitching about something Um, yeah come here this was such a gorgeous chat and I especially liked getting an insight into the young Julie reading this and
0: Oh I was such a nerd. I mean it was ridiculous. Like such a nerd. But that's just who I was.
1: Yeah, we've been there. No, I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that with us.
0: Fiona, thank you so much for having me on. And I'm so glad you enjoyed the book. I do di- I did.
1: Thank you so much for introducing. Because me. I would have had to
0: to delete you from my life if you didn't. So it's no, a
1: painful conversation. I'm gonna read more Jeanette.
0: thank you so much Fiona and it's such a brilliant podcast thank you so much for having me on I'll talk to you soon chat soon Fiona bye
1: I always forget to record this little end closer bit that was my chat with Julie J that was episode 3 of Fiona's book club thank you for listening and I'll talk to you in 2 weeks for episode 4
0: bye bye You've been listening to a Cherry Podcast Network
1: production.